Hi, this is Joel Boggess, one half of the Relaunch team, and you are listening to the Bob Nolly of the Labrador Leadership Podcast. Live from the RVA, this is the Labrador Leadership Podcast with Dr. Bob Nolly, the program that brings you the leadership skills that can make you the most authentic, approachable leader for the sake of your business, your team, and for you. Now, here's Bob. Hi there, folks. Welcome back. How are you? I hope everybody's saying I'm great, Bob. And I hope you are. We have a great episode here today with the leadership freak himself. And when we get into the points that Dan makes, you'll notice you notice how important it is we talk about the leadership shift that's been going on. We'll talk about the command and control style where leaders get employees to do things because you have a task, it's a job, because I said so. And the shift that's going on to more of a servant leadership style. And he has some great points about environment and other things as well that we'll get to. But I just want to make this point before we start it. It's really... It's really a mind shift. Now, there are lots of things that we've mentioned in episodes that you can listen to today and use at work tomorrow. But there are some episodes that are really going to take some time for you to sit and think about and chill on. And because you take that time to sit and chill on it, that's, that's where the potential opens up for you to be a better leader. One more thing before we get started. Uh, once again, I want to acknowledge folks that have been so kind to us in the ratings and reviews. Uh, great actionable information was the name of somebody that said. Short segments packed with info. That's really nice. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Thanks a lot, uh, B.A. Trout. Uh, leadership for everyone. Boy, that that's just so great to hear that. It seems like if we're not hitting the nail on the head, we're getting pretty close. Joel says... Informative and entertaining. Wow, we're flattered. Alex and I both, that's good. Freelance 21, thank you for your comment. A business coach for high performance. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much. Should be bowing deeply at this point. That's all good. Thank you all. Now, the whole point of uh, of doing this today and acknowledging the folks that have left comments is... Yeah, please leave one because during these early weeks of uh, of the show on iTunes, Apple is very supportive of folks that are new and uh, put us up in the new and noteworthy section. And one of the things that does that gets us moved forward is uh, you subscribing. So click that subscribe button if you haven't already and leave a nice rating and review for us because that tells them that we're important and we can keep doing these stuff for you. And so take the time to do that. And we'll talk to you more about, about what, what we can do for you and the new cool things we have coming up. Uh, so it's about that time. Please sit back and, and enjoy Dan Rockwell here. 
Uh, he's a real leadership freak. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you are one of those people that wanted to start a blog and you just couldn't get more readers than 50, your family and friends, or maybe a hundred, you consider yourself a huge success. But the gentleman on the line with me today is somebody that has accumulated an audience of over 300,000 readers, 300,000 readers. And he publishes daily and he's called himself the leadership freak. Dan Walkwell, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? Thank you, Bob. It's great to be here. I'm doing real well, staying warm these wintry days. How about you? I'm trying to stay warm as well, and uh, we can't get winter out of here fast enough. So tell us about the name The Leadership Freak. How did you, uh, how did you fall under that umbrella? Well, uh, I, I wish I had a great story for this, Bob, but I really don't. I was noodling around with words about uh, five years ago now because the blog is in its fifth year. Um, and the word freak can be like sports freak. You know, so it, it doesn't have to be freak like psychological basket case freak, and uh, that's that's really kind of where I'm at on this. I'm I'm like a a leadership fanatic, and uh, you know they, I fell on the the term, and people tell me it's memorable, and so I'm glad I did. It is excellent, and I'll freely admit to you here that when I went to search for the name for the program, Leadership Freak, uh, when I showed up as already taken, I went, who has that? <laughs> and there you were, and there you were. When I when I was doing my uh, my doctoral work at school, there was a group of colleagues that were always running around to the uh, events that had leadership as the subject matter, and the faculty branded us the leadership junkies. Mm. So uh, you would be an honorary member of the junkies for sure. That would be Being great. Being a leadership freak. Uh, your, your whole experience in leadership, you say, started out as a nonprofit. Was that your first real job when you had leadership responsibilities, or where did this all start for you? It, it, it did. I mean, I think leadership is part of life. And, uh, you know, whether it's you're playing Little League and you, you, you have the opportunity to lead the team or, you know, in high school or, or after. But for me, I, I went away to school uh, to uh, theological training to begin with and have spent a good part of my life in the nonprofit world leading there. And I, th- I think when we look at the earliest leadership possibilities, you know, youngsters could have today, it would be on a sports team, perhaps. Uh, I, I remember Boy Scouts, being an opportunity as well. And for those of you that never went through a scouting program, you go through ranks. And when you get to the higher ranks and start earning merit badges, uh, the whole, the whole point of that is to not teach you how to make a tower from trees and by tying lashes and ropes together to get that done. It's about, I think, learning project management and life skills because the conversations you have to have with other leaders and uh, and merit badge counselors and the like are all about learning those interpersonal skills. And when you have to do that 21 times or 25 times, whatever the requirement is, all of a sudden you, you have some, you have some feet underneath you that'll serve you going forward. You know, Bob, I have boy scout uh, scouting in my history as well. And when I think back about the things that impacted me, there were people there there's a long line of people in my world who I think of as leaders because they influenced me and one of their main things that they did is they believed in me and they they gave me their time and they gave me their attention and they made me feel like I could be something and uh Dave Olmsted 
was our scoutmaster. I have no idea where he is now, uh, but I those scouting days were very formative for me. Yeah, they're they're important, and I think folks that had the opportunity to go through them have the have the upper hand at somewhere uh, some point down the road. Uh, so, do you feel that leaders have to be born, or can they be made? Well, uh, I'm going to go with John Maxwell on this, and and say, have you met a leader that wasn't born yet? And uh, <laughs> I remember I asked him one time, you know, about this, and and he has a standard joke that goes that way. Um, um, but uh, I think leadership skills can be learned. Obviously, that's why I'm writing, and. That's why I have hope for my own leadership. I believe that we can learn to be better. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's a learned skill, I think. I, I kind of think the born part comes from not the genetic pool, but rather the development that you are given during the wonder years, so to speak. How how much encouragement and an and opportunity you have, you know, prior to becoming an adult at the age of 18. Then after that – you know, it is learned, and it's more career based. I think it's it's. Do you get stretch goals and assignments? Has somebody taken you on as a mentor that can that help you learn those skills as you move on to the career? Because that painful stuff that's that's growth. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's so interesting that you bring this up because I didn't realize at the time uh, all these people that were pouring into my life when I was before I went off to college, when I was, you know, in those really formative years. Today, uh, decades later, I think back on, you brought up the Boy Scout experience, and I hadn't thought of this for a long while, but there, there are those teachers and youth workers and neighbors and people who, uh, 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 sports coaches, uh, all of them poured into this young kid and, you know, at some point, and it took me much longer than in my 20s. I mean, it was way later before I started really getting serious about learning about leadership. Uh, but they, they did pour in. And it makes me think about our opportunity, your opportunity, Bob, my opportunity to uh, spend some time with these young uh, high potential leaders or people who could be leaders. It's such a joy. It's, it's, it's a privilege. It really is a privilege. Yep. I, I think if we talked about leadership traits i mean we haven't got we started measuring this the researchers did in what the 50s or earlier and we come up with things like uh conservatism and prone to action and intelligence but you know as society has moved on the list starts to look a little different and i think jim kuzis and posner and those guys have come up with things like empathy is at the top of the list now and one one way station in this whole leadership trait is servant leadership. And I think that's an important topic. And within the course of the episodes we've done so far, my audience has not heard about servant leadership, but I will share that with them soon. But it's important to you and your work. It, it really is. I love what Pat Lencioni says about this. Pat Lencioni said, I'm sick and tired of hearing, and this is, by the way, a loose quote, but uh, I'm tired of hearing about servant leadership. There is no other kind. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely right. It's yeah. absolutely right. And, and, the, and the premise is leaders cannot lead until they have served, and leaders should be serving uh, through their work. And that's kind of a big picture thing. But day in and day out, what does a servant leader do? 
a servant leader is uh, consumed with what is best for the people on the team and the organization. And it's an extremely freeing sort of orientation toward leadership. The uh, command control style is very stressful and it's about pressure and maybe manipulation, but it's about getting people to do you know what you want them to do and a very leader-centric sort of style. And the servant leader is a other-centric style that says, what are your strengths? What are your capacities? Where do you best fit in? And how do we maximize your potential in a way that takes you where you want to go and takes our organization where it wants to go? And, and it's a extremely freeing. So you walk into a room and there's a problem. And perhaps the old style leader is like, I need to solve this. I need to have the answer. And uh, the servant leader walks in and says, how can I help? And then the whole pitch of the room changes. I, I, I just read uh, one of your more recent, recent postings, and I had in the back of my mind this thought that leadership is now all about relationships. But now you make the case that it's about the environment. How is leadership about the environment now? Yeah, I, you know, well, I wouldn't jettison relationships just yet. <laughs> oh, no. No, I'm going to loop back to that. Good. Yeah. Um, I'll, it was Senge, who, uh, Peter Senge, who talked about uh, our main uh, uh, point of influence is the environment we create. And I'm finding this to be such a useful idea. So in an organization, as a leader, I'm constantly monitoring what the environment is like and what are the energy levels like and what can I do, even from a structural point of view or from a rhythm and system point of view, to create an energizing environment that sets people free to reach their potential. And it can be as simple as a rhythm of every morning the leader drops into his his direct reports or her direct reports offices or wherever and says good morning and t talks about the day for a minute and says can you know, can I be helpful in any way and uh, and and off they go or, or as Doug Conant the former CEO of Campbell Soup who now has an office in Philly and and I I talked with him and, and some of his uh, people there Every day when he's in the office, he stops in at the end of the day and thanks them personally for something that they're doing. That's an environment. That's creating an environment. Sure, it's a behavior, but the environment of affirmation, the environment of excellence, the environment of high energy, those are things that leaders think need to be thinking a lot about. And indeed about the relationships as well. I, you know, I think I think the great leader is is one that will have conversations with as many people as they can, not just their direct reports, whether you're a, a line manager and you've got a, a team of administrative people working with you or you're in the uh you're up in the C suite and you're looking at the top top leadership team and you and you get them together, skip a level or two and talk to those people and find out how they feel and ask that question, what can I do for you? And when you make those, you know, I, I, I've known organizations to create this skip level concept and everybody gets excited about it, but then they get canceled because there's an urgency that creeps up and that, and that commitment to do that is somewhat less than holy. So that's a loss. That's a loss right there. I was just at a, uh, an event with, uh, the leadership mix, which is Gary Hamel's, uh, group. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about recently, as others do, about hacking management and turning the pyramid upside down. So we on ha- the pyramid, we have the top of the organization at the top of the pyramid. And the bottom, the line right there, is this broad base, but they are holding up the weight of the entire organization above it as they have to execute in delivering to the customer, whether it's a service or a good. And having to do that and close the deal is kind of problematic. So when you flip it, they are at the top, and the whole organization is supporting the line, if you will, the worker, the administrative worker. And in that gap between that worker and the customer, that's the opportunity to make the magic happen. And that is, at least now for me, that's what I mean when I talk about the focus needs to be on those relationships right there. Are you thinking, Bob, about the relationships between the frontline people and the customer? Is that what you're thinking about? In that case, yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. And I love that upside down pyramid thing because to aspire to leadership is to aspire to serve more, not be served more. I love that. That's absolutely correct. And I, I just think it's great to have the uh, the urgency and the ability to just, if you are in a, an office setting and everybody is in little cubicles, to just walk down the aisle and pull a chair that's not being used and pull into somebody's cube and sit knee to knee with them. I don't always like to recommend people go knee to knee and have a conversation about how are you doing? What can I do for you? Yeah. And at the end of the day, how will that person feel that you cared enough to do that? Absolutely. It speaks, I think, Bob, it speaks to this quality of the servant leader that is about open shit, openness versus being protective and posturing and having to have everything together. It, there's this openness of the servant leader that is interested in, in the uh, welfare of others. I work with uh, organizations on creating co- coaching cultures, and I think there's a strong tie between servant leadership and coaching style leadership. And uh, I had suggested to their managers to try these little short coaching conversations that start with uh, what's working for you and why, what is it about that that's working and what are you doing to make it work and how can we have you do more of that and how can I help? And so they came back after in between sessions and reported on these little short conversations that you're talking about and, and uh, they had this little structure. And they're so excited about it because their employees are like, when they say, for example, one of them said, um, I asked, how can I help? And the employee looked at me and said, just the fact that you're interested in asking is really all I need. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. Isn't that great? Yeah. We're with Dan Rockwell, the leadership freak. Uh, When uh, you mentioned the the coaching environment and trying to getting that, getting that infused in the organization, Outside of the environment, coaching itself, why, why do you think some leaders are reticent to get a coach? Is it an ego thing? Is it what, – what, what is the reason? Do you know? It, it might be. You know, it might be the ego thing, like there's something wrong with me. And it, for that, in that case, I think it speaks to the, the misunderstanding of what coaches do. And when I, when I lead coaching workshops and help people think about this for themselves, I'll, I'll say that I coach my wife. And of course, everybody looks at each other like, 
really? And how does that work? And the reason we have that kind of visceral response is because we still assume that the coach is the person who knows everything and has all the answers and tells people what to do. And that's not what coaches do. Coaches help me help us bring out our best. And, you know, you don't have to. Matter of fact, you know, uh, Tiger Woods has a golf coach. Well, I guarantee you that golf coach doesn't play golf as good as Tiger Woods. But yet the coach can see things and help Tiger see things and and, uh, help him bring out his best. So I'm totally committed to this idea, and I I wish there wasn't discomfort with it because coaching isn't counseling. Coaching isn't because somebody is a loser. Um, Just uh, my first coaching experience years ago when I worked for a Penn State affiliate, um, I, they asked me to meet with this manager that they wanted to expand their, her, her capabilities and they tried for a couple of years and it didn't work. And so we sat down to have coffee and I just uh, sat across the table and said, why, you know why we're here, don't you? And she said, because basically because I'm a loser and you know I, they want me to do this and I haven't been able to do this. And I looked back at her and I said, that is not why we're here. You're, we're here because they believe you're worth it. And I honestly think it was that moment that was transformative for this manager. So the coach is is somebody who helps people bring out their best. And, you know, we shouldn't be pulling back from this idea. Yeah, that that would would have been a great moment indeed. Well done, sir. Well done. Thanks. Uh, You you talked about – I saw a great uh, clip on your website – uh, a talk you gave on a moment of self-reflection as we sit here talk about the coldness of winter here. <laughs> Can you tell that story about self-reflection before I ask you just, you know, how important that is in the self-development of a leader? And now, is it the, are you speaking about uh, Harry Kramer's story or? Uh, I'm, I'm being silent for three days. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That, you know, uh, Harry Kramer wrote this book on, on uh, values and he was the former he is the former CEO of Baxter Pharmaceutical, and he helped me realize about authentic leadership and the, the idea of self-reflection. He talked about meeting his uh, girlfriend, and they kind of fell in love, and the family heard about it, and they invited him to come during Christmas break. They were college students, and uh, Tom Jansen was to be his future father-in-law. He didn't know it. Anyway, he got invited to Minnesota in the wintertime, and uh, Tom Jansen met Harry at the airport, and said, I have plans for us. Well, at that stage, I'm not sure if he's got a gun in his pocket or what. I'm ready to, I'm ready to run, you know. But uh, Tom Jansen took Harry Kramer on a three-day silent retreat. And Harry said, I hadn't been silent for three minutes, much less three days. And when I wrote about it, I said, uh, I wrote, the first line was, I just hung up the phone with Harry Kramer and my ears on fire. He is a machine gun talker. So it was very transformative for him, and he said, I I learned about self-reflection, and I think this idea of uh, spending a little time in quiet and just jotting down your thoughts can be so helpful on the leadership journey. And and for three days, I think he said it it was a highlight of his young career so far, was it not? Well, what he what he said is, and at that time it had been twenty it had been twenty eight years or so since the first one he went to. But he said, Dan, every December, it doesn't matter where I was in the world, and he would travel all over the world for Baxter. Every December, I went back to Minnesota, and I have never missed 
that three-day silent retreat since. Now, I don't know if that's true in the last few years, but that was his experience. It was so powerful for him. That, that's excellent. That That's quite an excellent story. You know, I just read a uh, piece, and I can't attribute it, which is probably a reason for me to not bring it up, but I still bring up the topic at this point, on mindfulness and the role of mindfulness in leadership. And I, I think we're a long way away from uh, having uh, executives and top leaders going off to meditate in the middle of the day to uh, to refresh. But I think there's a place for that concept somewhere in uh, taking care of one's inner self so they can be the best they can be. Yeah, you know, and what you just said is so where it's at. We kind of think that this navel-gazing thing is like, you know, I don't know, create self-indulgence. And maybe it does for some, but the idea that you do this so that you can lead better, you do this so that you can see your world better and you can see yourself better and, you know, kind of come back in versus constantly pushing out. And for those of us who are extroverts, I think we really struggle with this. Yeah, somewhat for sure. Somewhat yeah. certainly. So you get your hands on a newly minted MBA coming right out of one of the finest business schools. What one piece of advice would you give them? It's not about you. And I, I think about my early leadership years, and um, I thought it was all about my performance. It, it took me so long to learn that it really was, you know, my performance is really about their performance. And the better I can help my team perform, the better leader I am. So in that sense, I move myself, we move ourselves off of center stage and out of the spotlight, and we move others onto center stage and into the spotlight and maximize their potential. And that's what leaders do. That's well put, and that will be a good uh, spot for us to end the leadership discussion today. Just a couple of quick questions now so my audience, the Labbies, can get to know you a little bit better. Uh, what kind of music's loaded on your phone or your iPod now? I listen to books. Um, when I'm with my wife, we listen to music, uh, usually Pandora, and it's uh, can be you know, classic rock or old-style Christmas, which we just come from. But when I'm alone in my vehicle, I listen to books. So, yeah, classic rock. You couldn't be the leadership freak if you didn't listen to classic <laughs> rock, I think. So so what are you reading either uh, on the audibles or on your bedside table now? Um, I'm listening to The Essentialist. Uh, excellent book on basically do do less better and don't you know don't spread yourself too thin. Really, uh, am enjoying that book. I'm going to talk with uh, John Bell. He has written a book called Do Less Better, which is in that same theme. So I guess I'm on a I'm on a binge, and I'm really excited to read and talk to um, um, what is the name of her book? It's uh, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader which she's kind of attacking this idea of you have to like think you learn to think as you act is what she's about. And I'm really, really excited to uh, talk with her and, and read that book. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, folks, you've been listening to Dan Rockwell, the leadership freak, Dan, if people want to uh, read you or get in touch with you, where can they find you? Well, the blog is at uh, leadershipfreak.wordpress.com, and my email address is dan at leadershipfreak.com. I'm Leadership Freak on Twitter. Uh, you just type in Leadership Freak, you're going to find me. And that's what branding is all about, folks. Dan, I can't thank you enough for being here for our listeners. Please come back anytime. Bob, it's a pleasure to meet you, and 
to uh, spend some time here. Love to talk about leadership, and thanks for letting me do it. Uh, the pleasure's all ours. Thanks for listening to the Labrador Leadership Podcast. For the sake of all the special people in your life that deserve you to be the best leader you can be. Connect with us on our website at labradorleadership.com, on Facebook at Labrador Leadership, and on Twitter at Lab Leadership. Now, here's a final thought from Bob. Friends, that's an adult dose right there. Dan Rockwell, many, many thanks coming on the program. Hope to see you again soon here. Show notes are at labradorleadership.com slash nine. You can read all about it there. And we'll see you the next time. Alex will be back talking about feedback. See you then. Have a great weekend.